This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Would you turn with me to the book of Acts? Those in our church family know we've been in a series in Acts, and we're going to return there this morning. We're not going to continue into the next section of this book that we, uh, where we are at. We would be uh, at the end of chapter 9 and into chapter 10. Instead, I want us to consider together something significant that happened as a result of Saul of Tarsus' persecution. You're going to see that um, in a moment. Uh, as we get to chapter 11 and look at a text that is there. But I have an important question for you graduates today, but a question for the rest of us as well. Are you truly a Christian? Are you truly a Christian? Now, when I ask that question, your mind probably went one of two places. In your mind, you may have gone to, well, yes, I'm a Christian because here's what I do. Some of you, I'm smiling, you're already shaking your head, okay? But there are some folks who say, yeah, I'm a Christian because here is what I do. The sad reality, though, is there are a lot of unsaved people in the world that do some of those same things and perhaps are even more consistent at it than you are. Others, though, in your mind, you went to this. Who am I in Christ? Who am I in Christ? If you are truly a Christian, you're not banking on what you do. You are resting in who you are in Jesus Christ. Now, why would a pastor in a Christian church in America, by the way, a church that is truly Christian, why would I ask such a question? And again, today I want to challenge you grads, but we all need to be challenged. A 2019 survey, this happened just before COVID, a survey by the Pew Research Center surveyed 15,000 Ameri- uh, adults across America about their religious beliefs. 64% of those surveyed said that they were Christian. But nearly a third of those that were raised Christian, in other words, they don't claim to be Christian anymore, but they were raised Christian. A third of those had switched to no religion or no religion in particular. In other words, they didn't want to say, well, I don't have a religion. They just, well, I'm, I'm deciding. No religion or no religion in particular. 20% of those raised without religion had become a Christian. In the survey, some said, well, I wasn't raised to be a Christian, but now I am. Pew noted, and others have noted, and you can get online and you can see analysis of this extensive survey. 
But they noted that if that ratio of switching continues at a steady pace, it is predicted that in half a century, only about 40% of Americans will identify as Christian. Now, there's something obvious from this as well, if you know your Bible, and that is a true Christian never switches. You never do. So even if you're here this morning and you're trying to decide you're not a Christian. So again, I'm asking you to answer the question, are you truly a Christian? And I want us to see that the Bible answers this question plainly because the word for Christian is used three times in our New Testament. And each usage defines clearly what a Christian is. This is who you are if you are a Christian. So I've entitled the message, What is a Christian? Emphasis on the is. What is a Christian? Would you look at, with me at Acts chapter 11? Acts 11. This is the account of the founding of the church at Antioch. There were two Antiochs. There's one in northern Syria and then there's one over in Turkey. This is the one in northern Syria. Acts chapter 11, would you go down to verse 19, and here's what we read. Now they which were scattered abroad under the persecution that arose about Stephen. Stephen had been martyred. Remember who was there? The Sanhedrin, and there was a young radical Judaist by the name of Saul of Tarsus, holding the coat so that they could finish Stephen off. Right, he's there too. But because of the death of Stephen, they traveled as far as Phenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to, uh, uh, to none but unto the Jews only. So again, with the diaspora, with the dispersion, they're going everywhere as witnesses. They're not hiding, they're witnessing. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was at Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Let me just pause based on what we've seen already in the book of Acts. Here's Barnabas. He's the encourager. He's the discipler. I love that. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called, what? Christians in Antioch. So this is the first mention. Now it's interesting that in Acts 11, and in the first century, that believers were not using the term Christian of themselves. So where did it come from? Well, the Jews didn't give it to them because they didn't believe Christ, Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. And so they weren't using it of these Christians. 
Instead, this came from the Greeks. Again, chapter 11, verse 20. And they gave this name to the believers as a name of ridicule. Now, most Christians treasure that name. Boldly proclaim it. I am a Christian. But in the early church, this, at this time, it was, it was a, a name of derision. Now, what did the name mean? The I-A-N at the end of Christian is a Latin ending that means someone belonging to the party or sect of. And so these people are of the sect of Christ, Jesus, the one who claimed to be Israel's Messiah. They were ridiculing these saints in Antioch, calling them Christ's followers, Christ's people, Messiah's ones. How do you like this one? Little Jesuses. Now again, today, somebody calls me a little Jesus. Well, that's, that's a compliment if, if they think they see him in me. So this brings us for, to the first description of a true Christian defined by the use of the word in chapter 11. Here it is. If you're taking notes, keeping an outline, Christians are disciples. They are learners and followers of Jesus Christ. They're learning who he is, how to be like him, how to please him, and they follow no matter what. It will help us to consider that Antioch was a city of half a million people, 500,000 strong. So imagine that. What a city. It was the third most important city in the Roman Empire. They called it the Queen of the East. New and strange ideas were constantly being introduced to the city's residents. But one day, the residents heard of a miracle worker in Jerusalem who claimed to be the Jews' Messiah. He was crucified, buried, but he rose again. He was alive. He was seen of up to 500 people. Now here is what is so important. The Greeks in Antioch knew that the believers of this Messiah had no other claim than, they were, than that they were followers of Jesus Christ. Again, for you graduates, all right, where'd you go to high school? You, you want to say that, Okay. Did you graduate with honors? You college grads, where, where did you go? We, we love these different things. And by the way, you've worked hard, so it's okay to declare that, okay? I'm not, I'm not minimizing your hard work. But when folks start asking about us, what should be the main thing? I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Some of you have been passing this around on Facebook, and it got my attention. In fact, I watched the clip, uh, the college women's softball World Series just happened. Some of you have seen this. And the University of Oklahoma, Oklahoma University, let me get that right. That's right, okay, all right. I've got some uh, schooners here, uh, sooners, schooners. Schooners is what you sail. Sooners are what you claim to be when you're in 
Oklahoma. Anyway, all right. But after they won, there was a press briefing, and it was amazing how these young ladies wanted to be identified. And they got on the subject of the difference between joy and happiness. I, I guess somebody asked them, uh, are you happy? And one girl, and then it went on to the next girl, and they talked about their coach. The, the point was they said, happiness is what comes and goes based on your circumstances. If we had lost, we would not have lost our joy. And they went on to declare because we're Christians, and when you know Christ, he gives you joy that cannot be taken away. What did they want to be identified as? Champions! Disciples of Jesus Christ. What a testimony. That ought to be our testimony. And so if the Greeks raised the question about what they saw when they looked at one of these disciples, what they saw were Christ followers. These people were different. They were Jesus imitators. Who were they trying to live like? They were trying to be like Jesus. They did not follow as fans but as imitators I fear that we have a lot of Christians who are just fans they embrace the ideals and as long as it suits my purposes and makes me look good you know pe people are very willing if they think it'll help their image to declare that they're a Christian whether they, they are or not but these folks were different they were imitators now look back at 1126 again as the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Verse 26 reminds us that if you're going to imitate someone, you have to study them. You have to learn from them. And the disciples were called Christians. They were followers of Christ. Are we clear on the fact that only those who are followers can be Christians? Jesus made that clear in his own teachings. Thousands, for a while, stayed with him. They ate bread. They listened to him. But when it started to cost them something or when they didn't understand or did understand the sacrifice involved, they turned away to the point that it, the thousands were gone and Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, will you go also? How many are left? There's just 12 at that point. Are we clear on the fact that it has nothing to do with the home that you are born in? Your Christian home does not make you a Christian. No one is a Christian by birth. And so two truths here become very important. Here's the first one. Being a Christian is a choice. You must choose Christ. It's a decision made at a point in time when spiritual birth takes place. You repent of your sin. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. You invite him to come into your life and to be uh, your Savior based on your trust in his finished work at Calvary. This is what Jesus was calling people to do during his earthly ministry. If people were going to come after him, Matthew 16, 24 says that they were to do three things. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. If you're going to be a disciple, come after me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow. 
In the ancient world, the cross was never a piece of jewelry. It was never something you decorated your home with. It's okay to do it today as long as it's an empty cross. Don't put Jesus back on the cross and then hang him in your home. It's an empty cross. Just like there's an empty tomb. But take up your cross. Jesus' cross was the Father's will for him, and it meant completely dying to self and ultimately dying. Whatever it is that God calls you to do, that's your cross. Take it up. Follow through. Finish what God has called you to do. And then follow. No matter what happens, follow Christ. What about someone who refuses to do this? Maybe you say, I'm a Christian, but I'm deciding. No, no, no. If you're a Christian, you're following. And Jesus said this in Luke 14, 27, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So a Christian is a disciple who makes the deliberate choice to follow Jesus. And people who are looking on will recognize he, she, is a true Christian. They're real. They're genuine. They don't just say it. That's who they are. So being a Christian is a choice. Have you chosen? Then next, being a Christian means that you believe some things. You believe some things, and you're not willing uh, to back off. You are very willing to declare what you believe. You believe some things about Jesus Christ. By the way, that's how you get saved. Now, what is it that we must believe about Jesus Christ? Would you take uh, your Bible, go back to Matthew chapter 1. This is easy to remember. If you go to the start of Matthew, Mark, and John, in those three Gospels, there are key things that you must believe. And I'm not purposely leaving out Luke. Because Luke is the, uh, the rest of the testimony of who Jesus was. But in Matthew 1 and verse 1, these gospels start out with the essence of what we have to believe about Jesus. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The book of the generation, that word is literally the word for origin. The origin of Yeshua. The Hebrew would be Joshua, of Jesus, who is the Christ, Jesus Christ, Messiah. Christians believe that of the 450 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, they all refer to Jesus of Nazareth. He fulfilled every one of them. 450. What a coincidence. No. No. No way. No way. So you believe that Jesus is Messiah and his origins point all the way back to Abraham. Turn to Mark chapter 1. Next book and verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of who? Son of God. The beginning of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, 
the Son of God. To be a disciple of Jesus, you must believe that he is God's Son. Not just one of the sons of God, like the cults teach. You know, the cults teach that Jesus and Satan are brothers, and Jesus is the good brother, Satan's the bad brother. That's not in the Bible. You can't be saved if you believe that. No, Jesus is the Son of God, which means that he is God. How do we know? Now go over to John 1 and verse 1. Some of you can quote this. But I want us to see it. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Why is Jesus referred to as the Word? Can I ask you to take your Bible, and you don't have to go to Genesis, but go in your Bible to Malachi, the last prophecy, all right? And I want you to just hold your Bible open to your Old Testament. Can you do that with me? All right. The Old Testament is the story, the history of Jesus. This all pointed to him. The ceremonial law, the prophecies, 450 of them related to Jesus. This is the written word. But you know what? You, and people can be saved out of the written word. But God did something very special for us. He revealed himself in that first part of your Bible. He declared that Jesus was coming. And then John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word. What God planned to do was not just communicate by word, but communicate through the living word, his son. So he sent Jesus, born of a virgin, no sin nature, all God, all man, and here's what the Lord tells us. As he walked through the earth, we beheld his glory. You watch Jesus, you're seeing God's glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And here's what Jesus said. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said, and again, I'm contradicting the cults who don't know the Bible. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. So God gave us the written word, and then he gave us the living word. And we can behold in his life God in flesh. Amazing. But if you're a Christian, that's what you believe. You say, well, I'm undecided. You're not a Christian. You have to believe that. You get to believe that. Who wants to deny the existence of the only one who can save your soul from sin and hell. So to be a disciple, a person must believe the gospel, must believe what the Bible says about Jesus who is the Messiah. I'm especially burdened that you graduates and all of our young people be Christ's disciples. I'm burdened that the things that I just shared with you, that they, in fact, were review for you. 
and that you're not sitting there going, I didn't know that. No, this is, this is what your faith is based on. You must know these things. Can you truly say that you are an imitator of Christ because you have believed the truth about Christ, he lives in your heart, and now you're choosing to be like him? Do you really believe all the things that he has said about himself? Or are you unconverted and a Christian in name only? You say, well, I hope my parents don't find out. I hope my pastor doesn't find out that I'm just really not sure that I'm a Christian. First of all, we love you, but that's not something you want to hide. It's something you want to settle. When Jesus comes back, you can fool the whole world, but you're not going to fool him. Now, not only are Christians learner followers of Jesus, but the second use of the word Christian in the New Testament is found in Acts 26. I'd like us to turn over there, and we're going to be able to speed up now. Acts chapter 26. Paul has really completed most of his earthly ministry. He's appealed to Caesar and now he's on his way to Rome and he stands before a Jewish king, King Agrippa. But as he stands before the king, he's not trying to defend himself. He's not trying to get out of trouble. Instead, he is declaring the gospel. And in chapter 26, look with me at verse 22. He's saying this to King Agrippa, having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both the small and great, saying none other thing that those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. Again, he's pointing to Jesus. How do we know? Verse 23, that Christ should suffer, that he should be the first that should rise from the dead. Okay, speaking of Messiah, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he has thus spake uh, and as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, all right, he's the, he's the Roman ruler beside, of that area. He's sitting beside Agrippa. He said, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning hath made thee mad. He thinks this guy's a crackpot. But he, Paul, said, I am not mad, most noble Festus. See the sweet response. But I speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for, the things which, uh, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? All right, now that goes back to what we said a Christian is earlier. You've got to believe what God says in his word about Messiah. He says, Paul says this to a group. Do you believe the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a... There it is. There's the second use. Again, the term use is used by an unbeliever in referring to a follower of Christ. See, Agrippa had heard about these Christians. And now 
Paul, you almost persuade me to be one of those Christ followers. Now, what was Paul trying to do? He was trying to help Agrippa become a disciple of Jesus Christ, become a believer, become a child of God. Remember that when Saul of Tarsus got saved, the Lord said to him, you're going to stand before kings. Here's the first one. Why? Because Jesus loves to save kings too. The Lord wanted to save Agrippa. Now, who, who was this Agrippa? Well, this is amazing. This guy's dad was none other than Herod Agrippa I. This guy's dad had tried to ingratiate himself to the Jews by persecuting Christians. Paul knew this. It was Herod Agrippa I who put James to death, had him killed with a sword. This was the same guy who had imprisoned Peter before he was miraculously released. Acts 12 tells us that he started taking a claim from the crowd. They said, he's a God, he's a God. And he died a sudden, miserable death in Caesarea. You can go back and read about that. This is his son that Paul's talking to. But God loves Agrippa and wants to save him. Oh, by the way, Bernice, who's sitting right next to him, chapter 25, verse 23, is Agrippa's mistress. Not his wife. His mistress, who also happens to be his sister. And I expected a groan out of you. Are you kidding? No, it's his sister. These are two very sinful people, but Paul is focused on their greatest need and almost persuaded Agrippa to become a Christian. This account reminds us that true imitators of Christ are disciple makers, fishermen. Jesus said, if you follow me, you'll be fishing for men. So are you truly a Christian? When's the last time you shared your faith and tried to draw somebody to Jesus? That's what a Christian is. Now, some of you have claimed to be a Christian a long time, but you're not demonstrating it in one of the most notable ways that a person shows they're a Christian. Who are you telling about Jesus? So we live it before them, but then we declare him to them. That's what a Christian is. So Christians are disciples who are learners and followers. They're disciple makers. But then here's a third point, and we're done this morning. There's a third use of this word Christian, and it's found over in 1 Peter. Would you go there with me? First Peter chapter 4, towards the end of his ministry, Peter is writing to followers of Jesus the Messiah who are scattered all over the ancient world. And here's what he says, chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. 
I'm a Christian. How can this be happening to me? No, no, that's, don't think that's strange. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Messiah's suffering, Christ's suffering. That when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached in the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. In other words, if you're a Christian, again, look like Christ. Don't hurt your testimony by sin. Jesus didn't do any of that. Be like Jesus. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, wow, there it is. There's the third use. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. So it's interesting, by this point, the apostle Peter is saying, we're Christians. If you suffer as a Christian, Understand why. And again, let him glorify God on this behalf. So here's, here's the third point. All right? If you're a Christian, truly a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ, Christians will suffer on behalf of Jesus' name. You'll suffer on behalf of Jesus' name. By this I mean that if persecution comes, a true Christian will will face it willingly, will not shrink away, whether in the college classroom, the internship, the workplace, or the family reunion. Our society has tried to eliminate Jesus' name in every aspect of life unless they want to mock it or curse it. They, they, they said Jesus. These movie ratings. A Christian movie will come out and it's PG-13 because parents need to warn their kids. They use the name Jesus in that movie. In a good way, but they don't say that. What do genuine Christians do when our Lord's name is belittled or scorned? Regardless of potential persecutions and repercussions... Christians identify themselves by speaking on behalf of that name. When you suffer, Peter said, glorify God on behalf of that name. The name of Jesus, no, in the context, on the name, that name Christian. If you're suffering because you are one of Christ's little ones, you are a Christ imitator, on behalf of that name, glorify God. Ultimately, we need to speak up for God's glory in Jesus' name. But we also need to speak up because of what Peter says in 1 Peter 4. Look at verses 17 and 18. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Now, I believe personally that what Peter was saying is there are already those who call themselves Christians, but they're not sure they want to be called Christians. 
In fact, there are some who at one point wanted to be called Christian, but they've decided maybe there's, it's time for a change. They're not really Christians. They went out from us because they were not of us. He's saying the Lord is purifying his church. You do understand, I hope, that if we face full-blown persecution in America, it will purify our church. And I hope we're all still here. Judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Verse 18, and if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? The point is they must be saved. And we bear the name of the only one who can save them. But what if our speaking out for Christ's name causes us to be mocked, hated? What if it even results in injury? Look at verse 19. Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Jesus said, I'm with you even to the end of this age. Even in persecution, whatever is happening to you, you're not alone. I'm there. Commit your soul to me. I think those words had to be the truth that sustained Peter when one day as they were getting ready to crucify him, he spoke up and said, I am not worthy to die as my Savior, Jesus Christ. And so they said, okay. They nailed him to the cross and they crucified him upside down. How did Peter get through that? He had committed his soul to the Creator, his Savior. So let's conclude. On a wall near the main entrance of the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas, there's a portrait with the following inscription. Quote, James Butler Bonham. No picture of him exists. This picture is of his nephew, J Major James Bonham, deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. It is placed here by the family that people may know the appearance of the man who died at the Alamo for freedom. What were they doing? Well, this nephew looks so much like his uncle. We want you to see his picture because you'll see the resemblance. No literal portrait of Jesus exists. You've not seen Jesus. But the likeness of the Son who makes us free can be seen in the lives of each of his true followers. You know what? I've seen Jesus. I've seen him in male faces. I've seen him in female faces. Don't misunderstand. I've seen his very nature, his love, his holiness, his devotion, his patience. I've seen Jesus. You've seen Jesus too. But if people seen in you the image of Christ because you are an imitator of him, 
Inside, they see coming from you the fruit of the Spirit. Outside, they see love for others. They see purity. When you speak, your words are mixed with the grace of the indwelling Spirit of Christ. When the wife of missionary Adoniram Judson told him that a newspaper article likened him to some of the apostles, Judson replied, quote, I do not want to be like a Paul. Or any mere man, I want to be like Christ. I want to follow him only, copy his teachings, drink of his spirit, and place my feet in his footprints. Oh, to be more like Christ. Are you truly a Christian today? Only you can answer that. Do you believe what is necessary to be born again? Are you seeking to share him with others? And are you allowing the Lord to work through you to, to the point, no matter what is said around you, you're going to defend the name of Christ. And if persecution comes, you're not going to back down. Why? You're a Christian. You're a Christian. Father, thank you today for the graduates that are here. Lord, this is such an important milestone in their lives. But he that glorieth should not glory in any wisdom. The scripture instructs us what we need to glory in is that we understand and know you. Father, thank you for allowing me to pastor a church where there are many, many, many Christians committed. Lord, they, they have that name and they, they reflect what that name means. But Father, I'm burdened if there's anyone here today that has used the name, but there's never been a point in time when they pushed away religious works religious past, church membership, or anything else that they're trusting to get to heaven, that they didn't push that away and just humbly admit to you that they're a sinner and invite Jesus to save them. Lord, today, would you make it the day that they're born again, they become a child of God, a true Christian. So, Lord, convict in hearts, we pray. And, Father, any Christian can stray we can stray from our calling. We can stray from the name that defines us in the Bible. And Lord, if there's a Christian here where they've stopped following, they've stopped witnessing, they've shirked their responsibility to be a vocal testimony for you, Lord, would you convict and Help them to make those areas right so that they can be a bright light, a shining testimony for you today. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened. And we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.